Welcome to Sold Out Sports Talk with your host, Roman Gabriel III. Up-close conversations with high-impact personalities from the world of sports and entertainment. Follow Roman on Twitter and Facebook at Roman Gabriel 3. Welcome to Sold Out Sports Talk on American Family Radio. Great to have you in. Faith, family, and sports. And he's Merrill Hodge, former Pittsburgh Steeler, ESPN, television, radio, author of a really cool book, Brainwashed, The Bad Science Behind CTE and the Plot to Destroy Football. Merrill, how are you, man? I'm good, my friend. How about you? Hey, great, great having you in, as always. You know, we talked a little bit about this back uh, at Super Bowl in Minneapolis this year. To give people a background, Merrill, you are in a situation where uh, you actually experienced uh, concussions in your career. Roman, it actually ended my career. Um, but I think the thing that's most important is this journey has been sparked um, from a parent's perspective. Um Regardless if I've been playing and coaching this league for um, this game for 44 years, um, I really came uh, this came from a parent's perspective of, of questions. I think probably everybody has had, will have. Um, if they've sat out, seen the headlines or read an article, you're like, "What is the truth?" You know. Now I have a lot of experience in this, so um, I would read a lot of stuff and just go, "Man, I just." Things don't add up, you know, it smells bad, but what's the truth of it? And so that's really what set me on the quest. And I went across this country to neuropathologists, and I I focused on the people who do the science work. I think that's very important, you know. Um, People that do a paper here and there, don't get me wrong, I think there's there's a place for that. But if you want to know the answer to this, you go to people who have been studying brain disease, cutting brains. And I went across this country, even up into Canada. I actually have cut brains so I can understand the process and what goes on in the evaluation and the detailed work that people are doing. And then I asked them, okay, tell me what is CTE? You know, it, does it exist? Is it real? CTE is a pattern. We do not know what causes it. And we don't know what things are caused from it. We have cases where people played football and had concussions. People who played football and sports had no concussions. And we have cases where people have never played football, never had a history of head trauma, have no history of sports. And I was like, well, then how come we only hear about the ones that actually played football then? Again, Merrill, we're in an observation state. The science world shaking their head at the media how they could get this to where it is, the narrative where it is. There's no scientific evidence that would help support any of the narratives you've seen in the media. We are in an observation state, and we need to stay there. Merrill, I've got specific questions coming from a parent's perspective myself, playing football myself. Um, first of all, why would the media want to put out, uh, want to put out information uh, contrary to confuse people about CTE? Well, you'd have to ask them, Roman. Um, you know, I guess if you use the headline, um, CT is a pattern, and they don't know what causes it, I don't know that that would drive a headline. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen headlines where it says, uh, landmark study links um, football to CT. I'm like, I remember reading that our, um, headline. I got on phone right away to neuropathologist. I'm like, hey, what research is there that says that? They're like, there's no research. 
There's no papers. There's no scientific evidence of that. So I, I can't answer um, how deliberately evil that is and misleading that is and poor journalism that is. I can't answer why people would do that unless they're trying to sell papers and scare people. Um, but it is harmful. There are human consequences involved in this. And But but it, it, that's that's really one of the main things that drove me to write this book, to help people understand what CTE really is, what they don't know, what the science says versus what you see in the media about head trauma. You know, head trauma, Robert, is not sports-related. I mean, my son's first concussion, he slipped in the shower and hit his head. I mean, brain health is where this really is. It is about all of the awesome things that exist as far as helping people who have had concussions have some type of head trauma in whatever environment it happens, brain disease and how we can help um, treat that, care for it. There are awesome things available that we put in the book that will help empower people. You know, I'm sitting in my office and I'm looking at this book, John Saunders. And I don't know if you remember John. John yeah, I remember John. A legend. Yeah, legend of the ESPN. You know, John had a history of head trauma. Um, con- I mean, cognitive, I mean, concussion syndrome um, for years um, by slipping in a studio and hitting his head. And he finally came to me to get help, and I took him to, got him to UPMC, where they were able to identify the area of the brain that had been traumatized and still vulnerable, but yet hadn't been treated. They have all these specific treatments now for whatever area of the brain has been traumatized uh, cognitively and physically. I remember he would call. I told him, I said, John, in one day, you're going to be driving. And I go, the fog's going to clear. Well, sure enough. And he put it in his book. He, he called me up. He's like, I never thought it was going to happen. It cleared up today, Merrill. So there's so many awesome things that are being done. And this is too, okay, all of this treatments I'm talking about, therapies. People don't know about that, though. You know, very few know about that. Um, the headlines have scared parents to absolute death. I don't blame them either. If I hadn't lived what I lived. If I didn't know the people I know, been done the research I have done, listened to all the great minds, and not just one, Roman, I, I didn't take one person's word. I went from uh, a Dr. Cummings, a three-board-certified forensic professor out of Boston University, all the way to Lizzie Hazarati up in Canada, who is one of the great minds in this field, and listened to them all. And it's still, they all come back to the same thing. In the science world, Merrill, this is an observation. We do not know what causes it? We, and I always go back to the, they go, we don't know. I'm like, so if they don't know, how in the world could the media know? Merrill Hodge is with us, former Pittsburgh Steeler, ESPN, and uh, has written a book called Brainwashed, uh, The Best Science Behind CTE and the Plot, uh, Destroy Football. Uh, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And uh, one, of, one of the things that I have a lot of parents come up to me, and I'm sure you do too, Merrill, and it's moms that are really concerned about their kids' well-being, about, hey, what's the right sport? And if football is so dangerous, why should I even let them start playing football? And some of the numbers that we've seen across the board in the decline of youth uh, experience in football, what, would you, what do you tell parents when they say, you know, Merrill, should I let my son play football? Well, I sure will never answer for a parent, Roman. I, and I, don't, I think it's absolutely in- um, atrocious that people would get attacked if they let their kids play football because those who do that are completely ignorant and uninformed of where we are in the science world. I, I can only share this, my experience. What has happened to me, and keep in mind, I've been coaching youth football since 1991, um, whether at camps or coaching my own son. Um, 
I was the first one to go player, coach, parent to stand in front of Congress in 2009 and beg them to create a protocol for all of you sports 8 to 18. We were oh, doing wow. stuff in the NFL and college, uh, but we were doing nothing for the 99% of the football players exist ages 8 to 18. And I wanted to expand that to all sports because concussions happen in all sports. So, And cover um, that for a second, Merrill, because a lot of people are surprised when they hear, uh, you told me this before about how volleyball – uh, and some other sports have a higher ratio of concussions than football. Well, I, I, here's the best way to probably um, sum that up. Um, I had a actual um, report, reporter reach out to me, and he was talking to me that he had done a uh, some research on concussion clinics throughout the country. He asked the concussion clinics, if we got rid of football, we eliminated it at every level. It did not exist in the United States. How much would that affect your business in the, in the concussion industry, the rehab treatment and therapy? 10%. Uh, now, listen, even I was thinking, when he said 10%, yeah. he's like, it is a tiny little fraction of the, the, what we see on a regular basis. And it is not even actually in sports, Roman, which is why we have to widen the scope. I'll go back to what happened to my son. Uh, he slipped in the shower. Four days before his first bowl game as a freshman, well, he now is ineligible to play because that concussion has happened four days before a bowl game. So even though it didn't happen on a, in the football environment, he he can't play, and that's just. But that's just a. That's what we should have. I mean, that's what we. Those protocols make the games better and safer because we're doing something about it now. For ninety years, we did nothing, Roman. We ignored it. Just think about that. Ninety years. We did nothing, and the equipment was paper mache and what we have today. Instruction, teaching, treatment, therapies that exist today. This is the most exciting time to play in the history. When a parent is looking to place his son or daughter in a contact sport, what should they be looking for when they're checking into a league or checking into their, their, their son or daughter playing? We talk about this in the book, and we actually give you a list of things. Um, I give you a list, and, and Dr. Cummings, three-board certified forensic professor who helped me from the science perspective, um, the neuropathology perspective, he outlines things, too, because he actually becomes a youth football coach. The first thing that I tell parents, because this happens every year as I coach Roman, I'd be stretching in my first practice, and there was one kid I could tell didn't want to be there, and I'd go over and talk to him. I'd go, are you excited about playing? And I love kids. And he'd go, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, I go, what would you, what would you like to play? And they give me some other sport, right? Or some other thing. It doesn't have to be sports, okay? And I'm like, okay. Now here's what's good about that. They have something else they're passionate about. It's just not right. football, and that's okay. It's not for everybody. That's why we got a lot of sports and a lot of different options. So then I would talk to mom and dad, and I was like, hey, listen, I am. I was talking to little Johnny today, and he just, he don't want to be here. And they're like, oh no, um, we brought him because you're coaching. And I was like, no, this is, this is hard enough. I don't, he doesn't want to be here, but here's what he is passionate about. So feed his passion. Now, that's the counsel I, I've always taken. Like my son, he, I was never going to make my son play football. I'll use basketball, baseball, for example. Base, Bo is our second baseman. Every time we left the field to go to bat, when we had to go back out, I never had our second baseman out there. Why? He was in the woods. He was running around. He didn't want to play baseball. Right. So finally, I was like, Bo, do you want to play baseball? I was like, no. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to make you play baseball. So kids are going to have different passions to play different things. Bo was meant to play football. To not 
have been able to give him that opportunity to play football, I just think would have been so devastating. But I encourage her to feed their passion. What passion is it? If it is football, here's what you could ask. The first couple things that I really counsel parents to ask for, ask them what their head trial protocol is. First of all, do you have one? If you say no to that, I tell them, leave. Mm-hmm. If they don't even know what that is, leave. Don't even talk to them. But, but suggest you don't change it. Change it because we, we're not in an era that you should not be doing something. Ask them about hydration because that is something that's 100% controllable and fixable. Mm-hmm. Um, then ask them you know, how you go about practicing. And how's my kid going to get involved? You know, how do you match things up? Because, listen, as a coach, I got kids, like my son, for example. I would not want to put Bo against a kid whose skill set is not where Bo's is when we do our drills. Okay, you got to be smart with coaches like that, and that's really a challenge in youth football. But it can be done. It's not hard. It's just you got to know coaches are going to be thinking like that. You know, those are some of the questions, but we got a bunch more in the book. And then how comfortable do you feel? And then get involved. I t- we're all gatekeepers in this. Okay? You're a gatekeeper. I'm a gatekeeper. When it's really in youth football, parents are the gatekeepers. Coaches are the gatekeepers. The community is the gatekeepers. And the more we're all involved, the more we're helping create a better, safer environment, the more enjoyable it's going to be for, for our kids. Sam, tell parents what the Heads Up program is. The, the, the tools that exist today stem from a challenge. The greatest man I ever met was Chuck Knoll. Yep, former he coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when you think of Mount Rushmore, the National Football League, the footers that built our league, when you look at George House and Paul Brown, you would go Chuck Knoll next. Mm-hmm. And... To give you a little history, because I don't think I wouldn't expect a lot of people to know, but we do this in the book, and we talk about you know how heads up football came about and the guidance our youth football needed some direction, and you know it was around 2007 when I got involved with USA Football to do that. But backing up in 1990, in 1990, Bubby Brister was our quarterback at the time, and Joe Maroon was the neuropathologist on staff, one of the great minds and pioneers in this industry. And he tells Chuck, no, I don't think Bubby should play next week because I didn't like how he's responding on questions he gave him on Friday. Now, he tells this to Chuck on Friday. And Chuck's like, wait a minute. He looked fine all week. Joe, you can't just come in here and tell me a player can't play because he didn't answer some questions right back to you. I don't need just some subjective. He goes, can you create another tool so that we can help better evaluate this? Well, that sparks Joe Maroon to get with Dr. Lovell and create a pencil cognitive test that is not mandatory. It's voluntary in 1991. So in 1991, I'm a group of players doing cognitive testing. Nobody in the history of sports is doing anything like this. There's nothing even done um, in, in, um, as far as neuropathology world being done like this or thinking like that. Even Joe Maroon and Dr. Lovell, when they, I asked them about that moment, they don't even really know what they're doing other than creating another tool because Chuck Knoll has challenged that. Hmm. Well, I become the first group of players to do it. I used that baseline that I created in 1991. Even though my situation in Chicago, how it happened, they're not doing cognitive testing. They're not, they don't even have a neuropathologist on staff. That's how much difference there was just in the NFL, but that test, that baseline, is the tool that's used that actually ends up retiring me. So I'm the first player in NFL history to be retired 
based on a cognitive tool oh, wow. being one of the key components of that. You know, wow. and then when you go up to heads up, I had started establishing um, the protocol in 2003 when I started coaching youth football, along with how we went about practicing and playing. And Chuck Noe used to talk about three things. Same foot, same shoulder, rising blow, first contact win. And he said, men, when we play like this, we're a better, safer player. Now, he was talking about that when I was a rookie in 1987. And I always remember thinking, better, safer player. I understood what the better player was with how to play the game. But then he was adamant, if we play like this, we're safer, which was so true. We are better, we're safer structurally because we're playing behind our pads. We're using our pads. Our head was not a part of any techniques. It was not a weapon. We weren't launching and leading. So I actually, when USA Football asked me to be to help them give you football some guidance, I was on a committee. I'm looking up at my Steeler playbook, and I'm like, I'm hearing better, safer. We need youth football to be better, safer. I really just take those principles out. That becomes heads-up football. Now, what USA Football has done from it there, Pop Warner and all of these youth, I mean, we've built on that. I'm, um, we added one wrinkle when we, uh, when we started this, and I remember LeVar Arrington, Washington Redskins linebacker for a long time, Penn State linebacker. I mean, just a big, bad dude. Okay, we're in a meeting, and we're talking about it, and the principles, tackling. And people talk about tackling. It's not just tackling. It's taking on a tackler. It's blocking, getting off a block. There's all these things being taught in football. And how can we do it right and better and safer, which they're all part of the principles. He's like, you know, I don't like putting my head in front of a ball carrier. I guess even, you know, somebody that's 185 pounds running full speed, and that don't feel good. And I was like, wow, think about that. You're right. So we made one tweak. We, we took that out of it, and we made, actually, I thought it was a great change in addition because now you're forced to really tackle because you got to use your shoulder pads and bring your arms, which is a lost art. You know, if you're going to be a good tackler, you got to bring your arms. And that put the neck out of harm's way. We changed that technique. And we launched that in 2008. And that is exactly why in 2009 I spoke in front of Congress, because I've had a lot of experience with that. We've seen it, how it's helped and improved and helped in practices and in games and the protocols that are a part of it, hydration rules, how to fit a helmet, fit a shoulder pad. And I tell parents all the time and when I coach, and I was, I'd encourage them to be a part of it, when we fit equipment, I wanted my mom and my dad standing there wow, if they okay. could be there. That's awesome. Because when I put on a shoulder pad, I went over it just like this. I put on shoulder pads, make sure, you know, where it is by the AC joint. They're not too big, but they fit right. We go over. I cinch it down, show them how we have to strap it up. And I'm saying, and I hit them up on the shoulder pads. I bang on their shoulder pads a little bit. And I said, guys, this, these are not for decoration. These are what we use to play the game. Okay? These shoulder pads, this is what we use. Then I put on their helmet, make sure where the eyebrow is, the chin, cheek, cheek pads, make sure we it fits correctly, chin pad on, chin straps up, make sure it's right, show mom and dad how it should fit, and it's going to change and alter, even if they say it's a little tight, you know, hair and sweat, things are going to change, but we can always adjust it. Here's the things to look for. And I said, now this is right here is to protect you. It's not a weapon, and we don't use it. So we establish things right off the bat and how we go about it. Mom and dad, when they can, are sitting there right there when we do it. And, you know, the more we can do that for our parents, the more they understand all of the things that are going on. If they choose to let their kids play contact football, I would tell you this. 
they will be excited about the environment that exists today, and they'll know what to look for. And if they're not seeing what they look for, you're the gatekeeper, and let's make changes. You and I could both answer this because we grew up with the game, but what is it that you would tell a parent that, that, that your son or daughter can learn from a game like football? There are so many amazing life lessons that you can learn from the game. I guess some of the things, the things that probably resonate with me the most that I share with parents it, as I reflect back on the faces, those faces that I'm coaching. When you see a kid do it right and he feels it and he has, and he's had success in it, the confidence that comes from mm. him. And not just the confidence to play that game, but the confidence to do other things in life. How that helps kids um, in relationships. Um, working together, building habits. You know, the thing that is destroying this country right in front of our eyes, our biggest, actual biggest problem with our youth of America is obesity. Mm-hmm. Sugar consumption. Type 2 diabetes. Uh, not, 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 diabetes is just the start of it. But you've yeah. got cardiovascular disease linked to that. Every cancer is linked to that. Um, brain health is linked to that. Um heart disease, you name it, obesity. So when you look at football, there's 52 weeks in a year. Youth football is only, depending on your youth program, 8 to 11 weeks out of the year. You're not playing at 52 weeks out of the year. Mm-hmm. But here's what you can, how, here's what we would instill in our young kids, is that we want to create a good, healthy lifestyle so your bodies are stronger and better for next year. You know, eating right, not just doing schoolwork, and that's a part of it too, because in order to move on in the game, if you wanted to, boy, you got to be good in school, you know. And and if you wanted to keep playing youth football in our in my program, you had to be good in school and you had That's to be awesome. getting your homework done and stuff. But then you're taking care of your body. You're creating a healthy lifestyle for these kids that they're using all year round because they want to be ready for next year. Well, then when you're done playing football, which what ninety nine point nine percent are after high school, you able to use that. And this is. These, these actually statistics are proving. If you develop a good, healthy lifestyle, the younger you develop it, and you and keep my good experience with it too, because that is a challenge and something that is not perfect. We got to make sure coaches understand. We got to make it a great experience for these kids. Then they embrace that lifestyle and want to apply it later in life. That's what I was going to say, Marilis. Is you know you understand this, I understand this because if you played the game a long time, you have to have passion to play this game. And you have to enjoy it. And that was one of the things I was going to say to you that I know you do. Um, it doesn't do a teenager, a 9 or a 10 or a 13 or 14-year-old to get so serious about winning that you overlook the kid learning the game and having fun. Is that right? I used to always have meetings. And I you know, I always ask coaches and our, when we have our meetings, I'm like, hey, guys, who's the gatekeeper? Now, the first time I ever asked that, they were all looking around like, like there's supposed to be one guy. I say we all are. And I can just tell you this. I have played at every level. And I know winning is always talked about. But you know what the most important thing about winning is? Learning how to win. Mm-hmm. And you know how you learn how to win is you have to prepare. And now I don't care what you do in life, what job you end up having, that's going to be a staple. You're going to have to prepare and be prepared. Part of that preparation is obviously practice accountability. All of the other things that go along with being successful in life, it's a way for you to develop a tool set that's going to translate to their life's work. To focus on winning, 
Um, I, I'm sure we're on the same page as this, Roman. I mean, that is not what we're doing in new sports. And people that do that in new sports do not get it. It is not about you. It is about them. Mm-hmm. And kids, I'm going to tell you this, Roman. One of the first experiences I had where we practiced so hard, I really thought we were playing this team that was supposed to be the best. And we fought to the end. We, we didn't beat them. I'm devastated. I'm walking up there. I'm consumed in this loss as if I've just lost a real NFL game. And I'm walking up the field with the kids, and they're already talking about um, who, who, whose house we're going to go to to play. <laughs> um, do you want to? Um, who's, who, do you guys want to go get pizza? Who's going to ride there? I'm like, oh my gosh, Merrill, wait a minute. <laughs> That's what you need, right? To forget about the game, man. It's about pizza, and it's about going, enjoying yourself, and having fun. And we had a blast. And I'm saying it was one of the. That's why I tell people all the time, if I could make a living being a youth football coach, I'd still be doing it. Merle Hodge I, I, is uh, more things about that game than any level I ever played. Roman, and just so hopefully parents will get involved and they can have these type of experiences uh, for their kids too. Merrill Hodge is the author of Brainwash: the bad the, the bad science behind CTE and the plight in or the plot to destroy football. So uh, parents get it. Uh, if you're seriously thinking about your son or daughter playing contact sport, this is something you need to read, something where you can get real facts as opposed to, as, as uh, Merrill so well put, uh, the, the media has, has said a lot of things that just aren't provable. Merrill Hodge, former Pittsburgh Steeler, and um, Brainwashed is the name of the book. And uh, If they want to get it through a website or through checking you out directly, how do they do that? Um, well, Rob, that's a good, uh, a good one. Thanks. Um brainwashedbook.com not only can have, you can get the book there but actually there's all, we have all the science papers on there too Merrill I appreciate it man thanks that's awesome Thank you, my good good stuff. you've been listening to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III our podcasts are available at AFR.net you can follow Roman on his official website soldouttv.com and on Facebook at Roman Gabriel III We'll catch you next time on Sold Out Sports Talk, your source for faith, family, and sports.